Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Irrational exuberance. Nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2021. Irrational exuberance is a phrase that is mostly used to describe an economic state where investors get all excited. Irrational exuberance was when everybody was buying GameStop or GameShop or AMC and all that stuff that was going on. It's when investor enthusiasm drives prices higher than the fundamentals justify. But I use irrational exuberance in the sports context. I've used that a lot in speeches and when I'm talking to fans. Don't be irrationally exuberant. Don't start celebrating a championship in the offseason. I used to suffer from a huge case of the irrational exuberances until I learned over the years that the reason why it's called irrational exuberance is because it's not rational for you to be exuberant because when you're exuberant, it means, Hey, things are great, but in fact, things suck. And you're being irrational because you don't want to believe things are bad. So you say, Hey, things are really good. The NBA is the number one example always of irrational exuberance. Now, of course it happens in baseball during the off season when signings are made or at the deadline when trades are made. There's a level of irrational exuberance that happens. We'll talk about later in the show with the Yankees, let's say. Football a little bit. You know, you bring in Tom Brady into Tampa and say, wow, I'm irrationally exuberant. Our team is great. We're going to win the Super Bowl. Sometimes your exuberance is rational. Sometimes it starts as irrational and becomes rational. You just take out the first IR and then it becomes rational exuberance. Rational exuberance is totally hard to have, though, because when you have exuberance, by definition, exuberance comes when you are in a clouded state of ecstasy, not necessarily drug induced. Often it's player induced or often it's media induced. Now it can be Twitter induced. The NBA has cornered the market on excitement. The Free agent frenzy starts at 6 p.m. Everyone goes live on YouTube or we're doing a five-hour NBA free agency. We're live on CBS. Why would you be live the first minute of free agency? Oh, I know why. Because everybody signs then. It's my favorite part. I don't know if you know the rules, but you're not allowed to negotiate prior to the window opening, the window opens at six and all of a sudden deals are announced at 601 and it makes me smile. Not that anyone hides it anymore. Do you think Adam Silver sits in his office on top of a building in his basement or on top of a building if he's back in the office in New York City and says, yeah, no doubt 
that Lonzo Ball negotiated with Chicago in the last 30 seconds to get 85 million over four. Piece of cake. No doubt that Nick Lowry, that's not his name. Is it Kyle Lowry? I'm totally forgetting. I'm blanking. Kyle Lowry, thank you. No doubt that that trade was worked on from six o'clock to six o'clock and 32 seconds to get him on the heat, a 35-year-old point guard. I thought the heat made the biggest mistake of the six o'clock hour when they signed and traded a sign and trade for Kyle Lowry. The best thing that could happen to the heat would be a Bogdanovich. That's what I call it when a team negotiates a sign and trade, but they do it incorrectly and it gets reversed. The Bucks did a Bogdanovich and went on to win a NBA title. The Heat, their best chance would be to do a Bogdanovich here. Lowry is 35 years old. I'm trying to think of point guards who can be good in their late 30s, like championship level, not just okay, but hey, we are going to be part of a big three to get you to a championship. I was thinking about Jerry Stockton. Michael Jordan would be an example, but he wasn't a point guard. He was the GOAT. Very few players are playing well into their late 30s. Even players like Dirk Nowitzki or Karl Malone. Kareem was pretty good up until 41. I think the Chief, thanks to a lot of sessions with the movie Half-Baked, he played late into his 30s, early 40s with the Celtics. The chief is the reason I fell in love with the number double zero, by the way. Do you know that double zero on a roulette wheel is always in green and Robert Parrish wore double zero in his green Celtics jersey? Riddle me that. So Kyle Lowry is a, is a heat. And then Duncan Robinson as a heat player gets $90 million as an undrafted three-point specialist who is now one of the best three-point shooters in the league. $90 million over five years. Biggest contract ever for an undrafted player. I couldn't be happier for the guy. I really couldn't. It's outstanding for him. The numbers are insane. I would talk back in baseball when the NBA free agent would happen. Free agency happens. It always happens during the baseball season. So I'd be talking to players about it. And we were always amazed because we would look at career earnings. Players do do this. There's a website for baseball called Baseball Reference. And we would go on and guess Old-time baseball players, they would do it like with Andre Dawson. He'd walk out of the clubhouse and the player would say, hey, what did Andre Dawson make in his career? And we would learn that Andre Dawson in his career made less than some absolute crappy players in Major League Baseball. It's just how it goes. And then we'd talk about basketball when free agency would happen. And these free agents who no one ever heard of who are fine, they're not superstars, are getting $80, $90 million, $100 million. And in baseball, those contracts are so hard to come by and in the NBA, they just happen like that. The reason is that the NBA is a salary floor. Teams have to spend a certain amount. The NBA teams have fewer players than Major League Baseball teams. So the money is spread out between fewer players in the NBA. So the dollars are more. When you have $140 million payroll in baseball, that's a healthy payroll. But you spread it out over 25 guys. In basketball, you have $140 million payroll. I think they announced the cap, Coca. And I... I didn't write it down. And of course, I don't remember it, but they announced the cap for next year and the year after. And if Coke is on his game on a random Tuesday morning at approximately uh, 1.28 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time, I would say that uh, he would tell me that the cap is a buck 12. But then there's a number above that that's the true sort of 
limit, which I think is about a buck 30 or something. Got it, Coca. Hello. Ah, right. 136. Thank you. So spread out 136 over 25 and then spread out 136 over the number of people on an NBA roster. It used to be 12. I think it could be 15 now, but either way, it's way fewer players. So players are making more money, obviously, on an annual basis. And the you, you have to spend it. In baseball, you can have a team like the Marlins. We would have a $20 million payroll or a $50 million payroll or a $70 million payroll. If you look at the Tampa Rays or the Indians or the Royals and look what their payrolls are, you just don't have that in basketball. So the rule, as Coca told me before the show, as we were talking about this, is that teams have to spend 90% of the cap. Think about that. Think about if in baseball there were a cap, but teams, all teams had to spend 90% of the cap. Obviously, players would make more money. So I don't begrudge the players making the money. I think it's great. I'm happy for them. I certainly say that it makes executives a little lazier. They are working to try to get around the cap to try to get their owners to spend more money than they may want to. They're trying to get big threes. So all these teams are putting together their core and then signing various other side pieces for five, 10, $15 million total. So I'm watching this happen. And then the number one piece of irrational exuberance happened, the number one. And don't hate me at David P. Sampson on Twitter. Just don't, I don't wanna hear it. I'm telling you a fact. Chris Paul is not worth $30 million a year for four years, period, hard stop. He's going to be 37, 38, 39, and 40. Find me a productive point guard at those four years for $30 million. Let's say you have $130 million payroll. That means that Chris Paul, then you've got to pay Devin Booker, then you've got to pay their first pick overall. Uh, um, Aiton, is that his name, Matt? The big guy. He's really good, actually. DeAndre Ayton, exactly. So you're going to be paying those guys. And then you're paying Chris Paul, the head of the union. Chris Paul, whose career earnings are going to be well above $400 million. Chris Paul, who led his team. Everyone was ooing and eyeing over Chris Paul. Leading the Phoenix Suns over the and Anthony Davis-less Lakers. Leading them over the Kawhi Leonard-less Clippers. Leading them over the... I don't know if they play the Nuggets. They may have, but the Nuggets were without Jamal Murray. Chris Paul had COVID, I think. Missed a game maybe, but he was back. But then they go to the finals and they win the first two games against the Bucs. And Amin over in the Lebitard Pirate Ship says the Bucs aren't going to win a game. Well, he was right. The Bucs won four games. But the Suns got emotional. They were so excited to be relevant again. They were so, so excited they got into the finals that they said, we have an idea. Chris Paul was the difference maker. So let's keep him. He declined his $44 million option and he turned that into $120 million. He got his guarantee up from 44 to 120. I would have signed him to a $120 million two-year deal and then recognized that he's not going to be worth 60 million. He's not going to be worth 40 million. He's not going to be worth 20 million, but at least year three, we're still going to be in the prime of Aiden and Booker. But now they've got Chris Paul. And the thing in basketball is you can't just get rid of a guy and have that money not count. You can't release him and say, oh, we're good now. I, you know, I'm worried that I just said the wrong thing. We may have a correction coming, Coca. Do released players count against the cap? In football, there's dead cap money. 
in baseball, there's no cap. It doesn't matter. Release players you pay. That's just part of people don't count it as payroll, right? The Marlins didn't count the 22 million they paid to Chen last year. Sorry, Derek, as part of their payroll, but it was as president of a team. I count every dollar going to everyone. If I'm president of the Mets, the million dollars to Bonilla is part of the payroll. But I don't know in basketball if you can just release a player, pay him his money, and then respend it. Hmm. We, we'll find that out and we'll give you an answer, Coca. Make a note of that. I want to find that out. Because Chris Paul has zero chance to be productive on the Phoenix Suns for four years. Coca has an answer already. That you can waive a player, but he's still part of the cap. Coke, I'm going to assume you're right because that makes sense to me, which means that if they want to get rid of Chris Paul, they have to do a trade to a crappy player, a bad money trade, which you see a lot of. I don't know what people are doing. They're irrational. Trey Young signed the max deal, a rookie max extension deal. Trey Young's getting $200 million over five years from the Atlanta Hawks. Jimmy Butler got a max deal from the Miami Heat. People throw around max deals like they're going to TJ. Get it? They throw around max deals like they're at TJ Maxx. They're looking for the bargains, but then they realize that they're getting generic stuff at over listing. Does that make sense to you? I sent a tweet yesterday that annoyed Coca, but I had to. I'm not trying to be the negative guy. That's not who I am. I'm not a negative guy at all. I'm actually a glass half full guy. But I have seen myself set fans up and set myself up for failure so many times, spreading the bullshit that I would spread every single year. Hey, we're good. We're, we're ready to compete for a playoff spot. We think the additions we've made are exactly what we needed. We needed bullpen help. We got it. We needed some offense. We got it. We look at this lineup and we see no holes all the things to get people to buy tickets or to get excited about the team. And then you start the slow roll to mediocrity. All these NBA teams who are now saying that they've done it, they've won the free agency sweepstakes. They're all going to be disappointed except one, right? What's the use? Who did the Bucks beat? You remember they beat the Suns. Who did the Lakers beat last year? It's easy. That was the bubble. They beat the Heat. Who won the NBA title in 2019 and who did they beat? I can't remember. Oh, it was the Raptors. Good call. Good call. Kawhi Leonard. Free Asian Kawhi Leonard. All right. I want to talk about the Olympics because I was up last night. I was watching Simone Biles win a bronze medal. She won a bronze medal in the balance beam. I was watching the Kevin Durant led USA team beat Ricky Sissoudio of Spain, who had a great game. He used to be really good. He's not that good anymore. I know it's Rubio Coca. Stop yelling in my ear. Sissoudio is a song by Phil Collins that rhymes with Rubio. So Marco Rubio played for Spain and they lost to the USA. So I was thinking about the Olympics last night and trying to find the channels and trying to see what was live, when I could watch it, what I had to pay to watch it how many streaming services I have. And I was keeping track. I started doing a spreadsheet because I couldn't sleep, but all the different things that I have. And uh, I was watching Durant play and thinking about the Nets with Durant and Harden if he's healthy and Kyrie if he comes back. And I was reminded that I had to say something about Kyrie Irving 
because I've been accused by Coca and others of being unnecessarily negative towards Kyrie. And I want to, you to know that I am an equal opportunity person when it comes to being critical, but also when it comes to being complimentary. Kyrie Irving just donated a ton of money and brought clean water to an entire community uh, in a country where clean water is not something that uh, happens often. We take clean water for granted. I take it for granted. I take everything for granted. That's what privilege is by definition, where what you have, you take for granted and you don't necessarily need to think about not having it. There's so many people in the world who do not have it. And Kyrie Irving decided to bring clean water to Pakistan to an entire village of people. And I wanted to give him a shout out because that is truly making a difference in a very significant way having nothing to do with the social unrest in the U.S. because people in Pakistan don't care about that. Those people are trying to figure out where to get food from and where to get water from. So I was thinking about the Nets and Kyrie and if they're healthy, how they can be. And I'm watching Durant play in the U.S. trying to win a gold medal. They're in the semifinals. I still don't think they'll win the gold medal because that's a way to see. And I really don't think they will. But he's just good. But then I started watching gymnastics and the balance beam and watching Biles sort of get rid of the twisties and smile when she stuck her landing. And I believe when she looks back on her career and all the world championships, all the gold medals, if she gives you an honest interview, she will tell you that the bronze medal she won in the 2021-2020 Tokyo Olympics was the greatest achievement and the greatest medal she ever won. Overcoming what she overcame Getting my weight to see wrong, never been happier to get it wrong. I think she will look back and say, you know what? This was my moment. Moments are what we're after, right? It's what when you run a sports team, when you run a business, when you do anything that is customer facing, you're trying to create moments for customers, right? You're trying to create memories. I would always tell our employees, just don't forget that you are in the memory making business. We're not in the winning and losing business because we don't control that. It's easier to sell winning, but that is not what we control. We do our best with the best team on the field, but your job is to explain to people that we are here to make memories and memories come from moments and moments can only happen when you put yourself in a position, when you answer the door of opportunity, when you get off your couch and go into the world or go to a museum or go to a show or have a conversation with someone or experience a stomach ache due to discomfort because you're doing something out of your comfort zone. Moments happen while you can't plan greatness. You can put yourself in a position to achieve greatness. But when you are trying to achieve moments and you try too hard or you don't try hard enough, sometimes the moment can be lost. I was thinking about clubhouses trade deadlines. I was thinking about Major League Baseball. And I read something yesterday where the Boston Red Sox players were unusually upset that the Red Sox did not create a moment during the deadline. And all they did was get Schwarber when they watched the Yankees get Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo and Andrew Heaney, three guys who were very helpful in the Yankees game last night. And they watched Tampa get Nelson De La Cruz. And Nelson Cruz, I mean, I was just thinking of a singer, an old pitcher 
That's weird, Coca. The, my brain is weird. I did not get a lot of sleep last night. Actually, I got zero sleep. I, I was tossing and turning and my brain wouldn't shut down. So I gave in eventually and just watched a movie. But I was thinking just now about Eugelio de la Cruz, that pitcher from the Tigers we got for Cabrera back in 07. What, why is that in my head? I don't know. It's Nelson Cruz who's on the race. So the Red Sox apparently are upset. We wanted help. We deserved help, and the owners didn't help us. They're so angry at John Henry. They don't realize that John Henry won't go over the luxury tax threshold, just like the Yankees won't. They didn't have the prospects to give away the way the Yankees did. They decided not to. Kyan Bloom is in a totally different position as the head of baseball operations. The Red Sox have won multiple World Series since 04. Wait, have the Red Sox won more World Series than the Yankees since 04? I believe the Yankees won in 09, and that's the only time they've won since 2000. So in the last 21 years, the Yankees have won World Series. And in the last 21 years, the Red Sox, I want to say they have three. But that's the Giants who have three. Could the Red Sox even have four? I don't know, Coca. When did the Red Sox win the World Series? It's more than just 13 and 18, Coca. Look harder. They definitely won in 04. And are you sure they didn't win? Hold on. I'm asking Coca, since 2000, in the last 21 years, it's four for the Red Sox and one for the Yankees. The Red Sox have been a dream come true to Red Sox fans. John Henry, as the owner who took over in 02, has given you four rings. I'd be the first one to tell you to be critical of John Henry. I really would. I've been critical of him over things he's done. Absolutely. I've had enough experience with him that I know him inside and out, metaphorically speaking. Not in the white lotus type of way. The criticism that players have toward ownership when deadline deals are not to their satisfaction makes me insane. Do your job. It's not like the Red Sox have the Marlins payroll. Get out there and be better. During the pre-show preparation, Coca said to me, you know, the Red Sox and the Mets, first place teams, the Mets are still holding on. The Red Sox have given up first place to the Rays now. Pete Alonso of the Mets said, we're in a rut. And Coca said to me, if you're a bad team, you can't be in a rut. You're just a bad team. If you're in a rut all year long, that just means you're bad. Only good teams can be in a rut. And in theory, the Red Sox were not supposed to be a good team this year, as you may recall. And they've outperformed. Anything they or the San Francisco Giants do for the rest of the season can now be considered a rut because they've had a good season for 100 games. Yet the players in these clubhouses, while the Giants may be happy they got Chris Bryant, the players feel they've got this entitlement to be critical when ownership doesn't reward them for their play. I don't want people blaming ownership for that. Blame me when we don't sign enough players in the offseason or we have a payroll too low and we're making money hand over fist, buying Picassos and yachts, none of which happened with the Marlins, neither nor, because we weren't making money, despite what Deadspin would say. I'd go down to that clubhouse now, Coca, president of the Red Sox. If I'm Sam Kennedy, I'm walking out of that clubhouse. And I'm saying, listen, listen here, gents. 
shut up and play. I don't mean to be disrespectful. I understand you may be disappointed. I don't know why you are. We believe in you. You've got the players. You've got the talent. You've got the skill. You've been in first place all year. Go win some games. Go play. Go play. Which is totally different than what Jed Hoyer does when he goes into his clubhouse. When you trade away players in a what you call a fire sale, you go down to the clubhouse after the trade deadline. You have a team meeting. Did that every year. Even when we brought in players, we'd have a team meeting after the deadline, address the team and go out and try to have a good second half. Jed Hoyer has to go down when he trades Rizzo, Kimbrell, Baez, and Brian. He says, hey, guys, you all now have an opportunity. You have an opportunity to get playing time. You have an opportunity to start making your career. You have an opportunity to tell us that you deserve to be on this team next year as we build our foundation toward another championship in Chicago. This is your moment. Don't let it pass. Jed Howard was doing everything right. Perfect. But then he did something very strange to me. I came out and complimented him for trading Rizzo, Bryant, and Baez because neither of the three of them were what their names on the back of the jersey represented to fans. What they were producing was not enough to make a team winning. They were not the same players who won the World Series in 16, the core of the Cubs team. For all the Cubs fans out there crying, those players were not the same. And I said, Jed Hoyer did the right thing. He moved on. He realized that he had to move on because his job is to win another World Series. And with that group of men, he was not going to do it. That's why he was ready to be president of baseball ops. Theo knew that Jed was ready. Theo knew that the payroll was not going to be able to handle those guys. And he also knew that those guys weren't good enough to get paid what they'd want to get paid and what emotion would say they would get paid. So Jed Hoyer's doing everything great. And all of a sudden he gives an interview and he screwed it up. That will probably be my greatest source of frustration from this era, he said. I put my head on the pillow every night knowing we put our best foot forward. The extensions we offer these guys will hold up exceptionally well in the open market. I don't know why the guys didn't want to sign. I don't know why the guys didn't want to even counteroffer often. Every one of these guys would say they wanted to stay in Chicago. We wanted to be a cub. But then when we would sit down and negotiate, that wasn't how they acted. Oh, my God, Jed, what are you doing? When you trade away people who are the core of a championship, you don't kick them in the ass on the way out the door. You celebrate them. You do videos. You bring them back with appreciation days. You bring them back to show them the love for what they meant to your franchise. You don't need to tell your fans in some explicatory way. Hey, we really wanted them back. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Taking a breath, Coca. You can wipe that if you want. We'll start again now. Ready? I'll count you in. 10, 69. Jed Hoyer should have taken the microphone and instead said, 
We are so thankful to have had Rizzo, Baez, and Bryant. We're so thankful for what they meant to Chicago. We're so thankful that they will be associated with us forever. They are Cubs forever for what they did five years ago. You don't say the year. You say how many years ago it was. I mean, you say the year. People say, God, that seems like yesterday. So you don't say what they were for us in 2016 because then the people will have recency bias again and they'll say, oh, my God, you traded away our World Series heroes. You put it in years, five years ago. And then you say, in five years, a lot can change. I want to thank Anthony and Javi and Chris for their contributions, and I wish them nothing but the best as they move forward in their careers. That's it. That's the comment. You don't say, hey, we offered them extensions. They didn't take them. You sound like sour grapes and you look dumb. Why are you offering them extensions? And you're saying it's going to hold up exceptionally well in the open market? Horse hockey. How do you know what the open market is going to be when you've got crazy owners saying, hey, that guy was good in 2016. Let's sign him. Hey, this guy wants to play next to Francisco Lindor. He's going to be great. We'll give him 20 million a year. That would be such a Mets move, wouldn't it? Giving bias that. Worse is going to get 20 million a year for Chris Bryant. He's not worth it anymore. Rizzo, great guy off the field. Great. 20 million a year. Forget about it. He's lucky if he gets 5 million. That's what he's worth now. That doesn't take away from what he was worth then. It doesn't take away from what he meant to Chicago or to the people of South Florida. You've got to run a team mercilessly. Yes, I did it that way and got me one ring and that's it. Doesn't mean I didn't make mistakes. But when you have an opportunity to actually explain to your fan base the truth, yeah, I guess I didn't do that either. I understand what Jed was doing. He wants everyone to feel better about that fact, I guess. All right, Jed, we feel better. Thank you. I'm going to make you feel better after the break in a way that you cannot even believe because I'm going to say the words Francesca. I'm going to say the words Damien, and then I'm going to close my eyes and I'm going to talk about love. We'll be right back. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. My name is David Sampson. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for rating, reviewing, downloading. We had another record month in July, and it's all because of you. We didn't do anything different. We're just here every day for you, 45 minutes. Do not take your time for granted. Please tell your friends about Nothing Personal. Thank you for all the voting you did for the podcast awards. We'll let you know how that turns out in a couple of weeks, whether or not we get nominated. We're still reviewing movies, still watching movies, but I watched a TV show the other day. I had to. During the pandemic, I watched the first 12 episodes of the first season of a show called Love is Blind, where people meet each other through a wall. They supposedly fall in love, and then they ask each other to get married. Will you marry me? I've never seen you, but I've heard your voice, and we've gotten to know each other in these love pods, and you're awesome. And I'm going to assume, because it's a reality TV show, that you're hot also. So therefore, I feel better about the whole situation. Before I agreed to do this, I said, hey, is everyone going to be hot? Because if they are, then I have no problem. So there were a bunch of engagements. Some people got left at the altar, and I thought the season was over. 
they did a reunion. They did a few things. I'm watching all of a sudden I'm on Netflix, which is what I do when I'm looking for a movie or I'm on, or I go to Paramount or Amazon or any of the streaming service. Or I ask Coker, I look at my list that comes from you, the fan, the listeners to nothing personal to say fans of nothing personal. I guess you are. And you give me great movie suggestions. And all of a sudden I saw trending top in the US today. Love is blind. And I said, why are people watching that again? And then I saw a little red bar that I don't ever recall seeing that said new episodes. I said, that can't be. I didn't read anything about it. Turns out there are three new episodes of Love is Blind and I watched three in a row back to back to back jacks. Now, Love is Blind is a unscripted, scripted reality TV show. Survivor is an unscripted, scripted reality TV show. Big Brother, Amazing Race. RuPaul. Anyone you can think of. Do you think for one minute that Damien, who is getting such hate in the Twitter world, went to the anniversary party of the two couples who got married two years ago at the end of Love is Blind. They were having their two-year anniversaries. Do you think that one of the guys who came with his girlfriend from the show, who he's still with but never married, but he brought in Francesca, this model from another reality TV show, into a film studio party, and everyone was like, who's that? What's she doing here? The same girl who he was found with in the paparazzi in real life, quote unquote, holding hands like that matters. Holding hands is not an indicator of anything other than holding hands. I'm a hand holder. I like holding hands. It was so forced that if you didn't think of the movie Ed TV, then you were not paying attention. Francesca from Too Hot to Handle is holding hands with Damien from Love is Blind and then all of a sudden shows up at the Love is Blind anniversary party and gets into a real housewives type of fight with Damien's girlfriend where she gets yelled at and then storms out and leaves in a very scripted way by herself down an elevator where there's a back shot showing her. If you didn't think of Matthew McConaughey and Elizabeth Hurley and Ellen DeGeneres from the movie Ed TV, then you're not paying attention. Go back and watch the movie Ed TV. Matthew McConaughey is in love with Jenna Elfman from Keeping the Faith. Darman Gregg, who I love. If you haven't seen Keeping the Faith, please see that with Ed Norton and Ben Stiller and Jenna Elfman. Great, great movie about a rabbi and a priest. Did you hear the one about the rabbi and the priest? In any case, Ellen DeGeneres is the producer of Ed TV and says, I got an idea. Let's bring Elizabeth Hurley into the party introduces Elizabeth Hurley into the show. Of course, of course, Matthew McConaughey wants to have sex with Elizabeth Hurley. And of course, it's on TV. Yes, Francesca is too hot to handle, but Damien definitely wants to handle her, but they're still friends. Love is blind. You may want to check it out. If you don't have time, it means you're employed. I think John Gruden has time. John Gruden is the coach of the Oakland Raiders, who I just realized as I'm talking and not editing, they're not in Oakland anymore. They are not in Los Angeles anymore. I believe they are in Las Vegas. Are they, Coca? Did you hang up because you're so upset about the Love is Blind segment because you'll never watch that? I think it, John Gruden is the coach of the Las Vegas Raiders. He's in the fourth year of a five-year deal, and something struck me yesterday is how close he is to being unemployed because there was something that was said. It was a, a rumor, but it seemed funny to me. I don't like addressing rumors, but this one seemed funny. They came out of another station, another insider, that John Gruden is not under a win now mandate. 
He's in year four of a five-year deal that he signed out of retirement. He was a broadcaster. He took over a Raiders team that went 12 and four and made the playoffs. They have not made the playoffs since. He brought in his own GM and the two of them have basically sucked. The team stinks. But the owner, sources say, has not said you're in a win now situation. Year four of a five-year deal, really? Well, Gruden was asked about how he feels about the job he's done. And Gruden said something that made me smile. How did you do? How, how do you think your first four years have gone, Johnny boy? Are you upset? Are you pissed? And he said, I'm not pissed. I'm excited about the progress we've made. Keep in mind, the progress went from 12 wins before he got there to never more than eight wins. And their season this year is going to be no better. And they haven't made the playoffs. You know, we had like 21st time starters when I started. In our second year, we got off to a good start, but then we had injuries. We lost our right tackle, he said. We lost our right guard. We lost our featured back. Oh, my God. When did John Gruden become an excuse machine? John Gruden is trying to convince his owner, hey, I'm on it. I'm John Gruden. Don't judge me on the last four years. Judge me on what I did before that. Judge me on how great I was supposed to be, not on how great I've been. The greatest trick the devil ever played was to convince the owner that he didn't need to win now. I don't know how he did it, but Gruden does like the progress. Not sure I do. All right, I got to talk about some other stuff. When Rizzo and Gallo were brought in by the Yankees, everyone here in New York was all excited. When Andrew Heaney was brought in, everyone was excited. I told you Heaney was a six starter, but I still said the Yankees would beat the Orioles. They have to beat the Orioles. If they don't beat the Orioles, they are in deep trouble, deep, deep, deep trouble. You can sweep the Marlins, that's fine, but you better sweep the Orioles too when you're chasing down from behind, heavily from behind the Tampa Bay Rays. When you've got a peril like the Yankees, you don't want to play in a one-game playoff. When you have a peril like the Dodgers, you better catch the Giants, right? You have to, you have to. Because in one game in baseball, anything can happen. So I don't want to take too much stock in a 7-1 loss by the Yankees other than the fact that we lost our pick of the day and we're now 187, which is staggering. We're only 13 games over. I think there was a time we were 50 games over or something. It's been rough. But the Yankees just look like the Yankees have looked all year. One of the things that we do is we bring in new people at the deadline and say they're the difference makers. They're the names. We brought in Rizzo. He had a home run. He's our savior. The Yankees still look like the Yankees. They need pitching and they still need to score runs. But the good news is they have Garrett Cole going tomorrow. He's ready to go. Stop a losing streak. Start him on a winning streak. Uh-oh. row. Check your paper. It's at your doorstep. Who still gets their paper thrown at their doorstep? Anybody? Anybody? Beulah? Garrett Cole has COVID. Out. Tested positive. 10 days. See you later. At least. He joins Christian Yelich of the Brewers. Josh Hader of the Brewers. It's a pretty big deal. The Yankees obviously have COVID going around. People who are vaccinated are still getting COVID. I know more people with COVID coca. Like coca. It's happening. I think when you invest in your team in the time of COVID, you do it at your own peril because it's going to be luck to make it through October. Because the way baseball is, if you have COVID, you're done for 10 days. Are they going to do that during October? Is there an assumption no one will get COVID during October? Maybe it's just the healthiest team. 
Maybe that's who wins. Cole's out. So we're not going anywhere near the Yankees because I would have loved to have had the Yankees beat the Orioles today. There's an interesting game going on. John Lester pitches for the Cardinals. Max Fried is pitching for the Braves. The Braves are three and a half out of the National League least. They're behind the Phillies and behind the Mets. The Phillies and Mets are both catchable, even without Acuna and even without Ozuna. The Braves made some under-the-radar interesting moves at the deadline. I like the Braves because I chose them to win the World Series before the season started, and then I changed my mind after the deadline. Braves over Lester. Lester's another example. Do you guys miss him in Chicago? Are you so sorry that he's not on the Cubs? Because he was your guy in 2016. That was five years ago, folks. John Lester is not John Lester. Pick of the day. Braves over the Cardinals. Okay. Wait to see is when we say something's going to happen. And then it either happens or it doesn't happen. Do you remember on June 16th when Tyler Glasnow was hurt? Forearm tightness. And they said, no, we're going to rehab it. He's going to be Tanaka. He's going to be the one guy in history who doesn't have to have Tommy John. And I said, they may rehab it, but it's not going to be for long because they want to get him his surgery so he can be ready as quickly as possible and ready for the 2023 season. Well, it was announced yesterday that Tyler Glasnow is going to have Tommy John surgery. June 16th of 21, wait to see. Glasnow will have Tommy John surgery. Guess what? He is. That's a yes. So I want to talk about Tyler Glasnow and what what teams are doing now. It's fascinating to me. And this started back with Josh Johnson. I believe that is the first example I can think of. It may have happened before him, but the one I'm thinking of is Josh Johnson, where a team signs a player who's hurt. They pay him a small amount of money while he's rehabbing. And then they give him a two-year deal and pay him a larger amount in the second year guaranteed with incentives that can make it even more. The risk to the team is that the player never comes back from Tommy John. And then you've guaranteed him money the second year when he's not playing. The risk to the player is that he comes back from Tommy John and is so good that in the open market, he would have gotten more than what he agreed to. It is the last remaining example of an equitable signing. All these young signings, like the T signings, no one's giving a discount for young players pre-arbitration signing anymore. That used to be a great area where you could get discounts from players because you wouldn't hit on all of them, but you sign a bunch of them to pre-arbitration deals. You firm them through arbitration and you win some and you lose some. We did that with Yelich and we won. Sometimes you do with players and you lose. I can't think of a pre-arbitration deal that I did where we lost because we didn't do many of them because my view was, hey, let's go year to year. Let players prove themselves year in and year out. But we also, as a low revenue team and a small payroll team, we could not afford to allocate payroll to a questionable player. The Dodgers were always able to do that. They would sign players and If they continue to be hurt, they continue to be hurt. They'd write it off and their payroll would be just fine. The Marlins and many other teams can't do that. The Cubs are an example of a team that could do that, where they've got the wherewithal to sign a Tyler Glasnow, or in this case, to trade for a Tyler Glasnow. The Rays engage with trade talks, it was reported yesterday, and I absolutely 
believe this to be the case. And I want to tell you how it goes. The Tampa Bay Rays call up Chicago and say, hey, we want Kimbrell and we want Bryant. And we're willing to give you Tyler Glasnow. Tyler Glasnow is going to have Tommy John. He's going to miss the rest of 21. Tyler Glasnow is going to miss the rest of 22, likely, but he'll be ready in 23, which is his last year before free agency. You can have him for that year. And then you'll be in a position to sign him. You can have him for that year. And his arbitration number will be depressed because he will not get the raises through arbitration. He will generally get same salary in arbitration. When you miss a year for Tommy John, you get same salary. The most you can do is cut a player 10%, but often you just sign him for the same. And the Rays are saying to themselves, we are probably not going to tender him a contract, even though he's our best pitcher, because that is money that we cannot afford to allocate to a player who we don't know if they are going to play and if they're going to be productive. So for the Rays to engage in trade talks on Tyler Glasnow makes perfect sense because they're the Rays. The problem is the Cubs acted like a low revenue team. And they said, if you want us to take Tyler Glasnow, we're going to also need a tremendous number of high ceiling prospects because we have to assume that Glasnow is not going to be of any use to us. And that defeats the whole purpose of getting a Glasnow. The whole purpose of trading for one, him, is having the wherewithal to take the chance that if he is who he was, you have a huge benefit because you have him when normally you wouldn't be able to get him. And if he's not who he was, you simply write it off. But the Cubs tried to have their cake and eat it too. They tried to get Glasnow from the Rays, but also get top prospects. It doesn't really work that way. Either you are a high revenue team or not, either you act like a high revenue team or not, but high revenue teams cannot pretend to act like low revenue teams. The owner won't have it. The league won't have it. The fans won't have it. And when you do things as a high revenue team that low revenue teams would do, it doesn't make you smart. It actually makes you ineffective. I think it's going to be fascinating to watch what the Rays do with Tyler Glasnow as he navigates his impending Tommy John. So today it makes sense for the way to see to be about Tyler Glasnow. I absolutely appreciate what the Rays are trying to do, and they will be successful. Unfortunately for Rays fans, wait to see. Tyler Glasnow will not be a Ray through free agency. The Rays will find a way to trade him or move him because that is what makes the Rays the Rays. Tyler Glasnow will be traded prior to attaining free agency. Wait to see. Well, that's our show. Thank you for giving us 45 minutes of your time. And remember, it's just business. This is nothing personal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.